bathed in the splendor of light, Peter wants to stop time. Jesus, his face shining like the sun, his clothing aglow, Moses and Elijah walking beside him, all of it seems the fulfillment of ancient dreams. It is good for us to be here. When Kim and I go to the mountains for a week, whenever we get that opportunity, just the two of us with the majestic views all around, we will find a thousand ways to say it. It is good for us to be here. Every Easter day service, every Christmas Eve candlelight, people come out the doors, the hallelujah chorus still echoing off the walls, dropping their candles into the box saying, it is good for us to be here. A couple walks into their home carrying their baby for the very first time. They sit and watch her while she sleeps. One of them gets up to go and on the way out the door, whispering so as not to wake the baby. It is good for us to be here. We have a phrase for these moments, for these times, times that are filled with light and promise and newness and hope and life. Mountaintop experiences, we call them. And this, Peter knows, is a mountaintop experience. He thinks of Moses, whose face shone every time he came down from the mountain, receiving the law, communing with God. The people begged Moses, if you remember, to veil his face because they were terrified. But here they see Jesus with Moses, face alight with glory, unveiled. He thinks of Elijah, the great prophet of God, who was taken away in a whirlwind, if you remember. Prophecy said that when Elijah returns, the messianic age will arrive, and here was Elijah. So yes, this is the time, this is the moment, It is good to be here. When Elijah returns, the tradition had said, there would be uh, booths that would be built. Peter proposes building them here and now. Why not? One for Moses, one for Elijah, one for Jesus. Up to this point, the only voice in the story belongs to Peter. Now another voice interrupts him in mid-sentence. It descends from a bright cloud and the words will stop Peter's building plans and send him back down the mountain. It always happens sometime late in the week. We sit on the deck and we watch the sun drop below the mountain in a blaze of red and we'll look at each other and say, do we have to leave? Can't we just stay here? I wonder what the church would think if I took another month. Inevitably, on the way out of the Easter service, someone will wave his hand around at the crowd and say, Don't you wish it could be Easter every Sunday? And the couple watching that little one sleep can hear the ticking of the clock and 
A part of them wants her to stay just like this. Freeze the moment. Stop time's relentless march. So far this story has seemed like a dream. Jesus will later call it a vision with surreal qualities. Jesus' face shining and his clothing aglow and the sudden appearance of Moses and Elijah and now this bright cloud which calls to mind the cloud that descended on Mount Sinai when Moses received the law. Well, when the voice speaks from the cloud, it brings them back to reality quickly and sends them falling to the ground in abject terror. They weren't afraid when they saw Moses and Elijah. They're very afraid when they hear the voice of God. This is my son, the beloved. With him I am well pleased. Listen to him. They will be building no booths this day. These fear-stricken three, lying on the ground, covering their faces. The same voice heard at Jesus' baptism, proclaiming him the Son of God before he had done a single act of ministry, now proclaims him the Son of God again, blessing all he has said and done. God continues to be well-pleased, but now three words are added to the baptismal blessing. Listen to him. It's an emphatic demand, a commandment, delivered with an exclamation point, if you were reading along with me, and Peter is no longer saying anything about it being good to be here. He's no longer going on and on about booths. Jesus, the one with whom they had walked and talked, is revealed to be the very Son of God, the fulfillment of Moses, the law, and Elijah, the prophets. Tom Long suggests that the disciples' fear may have been twofold. They were in fear, obviously, because the voice of God and the presence of God was with them. But perhaps they were also frightened or overwhelmed by the command to listen to Jesus, by the thought that every word that came from Jesus' mouth was more than a religious idea to be thoughtfully considered and debated. Rather, his words were ethical mandates to be obeyed. Whereas before they wanted to stop time and preserve the luminous space where Jesus is aglow and walking about with Moses and Elijah. Now they lay on the ground in fear, perhaps wanting to stop this story, stop this coming kingdom, wanting no more of it. I remember a time when my daughter was a teenager and I walked into her bedroom one night to, to say goodnight and I saw her calendar on the wall. I noticed it was the calendar for the previous year, still opened to December. And since we were deep into the new year at that moment, I said something to her about it. Why haven't you changed your calendar? And she said, I know, I keep thinking I should, but I'm having a hard time. I wish time would slow down. 
I think some of that was wishing it was still Christmas as well. I told her that Kim and I often struggled with the same thing, especially when we saw them, she and our son, growing and changing. But I said I would never want that to really happen because I knew that they both needed to grow and they both had something unique to offer the world. And besides, at a certain point, she would have to pay rent. <laughs> and I remember after that exchange, leaving her room and pausing to look in, at the photos in the hallway of her and Caleb as babies and small children and felt as strongly as ever the desire to just stop. Stop things right here in this warm house, both kids in their beds, content and blessed and surrounded by light. Stop the story right here. After all the light and the cloud and the voice has spoken with that exclamatory, listen to him, still echoing in the air, there is a moment of stillness in the story. And I imagine they can hear Jesus' footsteps as he moves over to them. They feel his familiar touch on their heads, the same touch that had brought healing and wholeness to so many. Listen to him, the voice had thundered, and so they did. Get up, he said, and do not be afraid. Two sets of commands fitting for this day and all those days when we would like to stop time to freeze a moment or hide in fear. Get up. Get up. We cannot stay here. Jesus is turning his face toward the cross. Along the way he will teach that the kingdom is coming. Along the way he will teach that the way of God is the way of radical love and welcome along the way he will teach that whoever gives a cup of cold water whoever feeds the hungry or welcomes the stranger or visits the sick is feeding and welcoming and visiting him along the way he will touch the leper and make them clean he will make broken lives whole he will be surrounded by sinners and those deemed unworthy and call them beloved worthy of God's extravagant love. And all of it, all of it will get him killed. It will get him nailed to a cross by a world blind to the light in his face, bound to the forms of the past, unwilling to listen. And so he says, words we always need to hear after we are moved out of comfort and out of sentimentality for the past, out of the way things have always been, and move toward the radical and painful and vulnerable love for the world expressed on the cross. We always need to hear these words when we make that move, when we follow, we need to hear, do not be afraid. Fear, when we act on it, is the opposite of faith. 
fear of failure, fear of change, fear of death, fear of loss. All that fear turns us away from the radical claims of Christ. Fear freezes us in place, but Christ is on the move. And so Wednesday we will gather in this sanctuary, we'll receive the mark of ashes on our foreheads and hear the words, dust you are and to dust you shall return. It's a way of reminding us that we too are on the move. That we have this brief span of years and that those of us who claim Christ are called to use those years following him, carrying our cross. We do not follow him alone. We do not bear the cross alone. We bear it together. And we have the voice of the one we follow. When Kim and I return the keys to the mountain cabin to go back to our lives and all the responsibilities our lives entail. We can listen to him. Do not be afraid. In the life of a changing landscape for the church and a changing world, when we sometimes long to go back to the good old days, we can listen to him. Do not be afraid. The couple watching their baby sleep and then turn over and then toddle and then and then and then all along the way they can listen to him do not be afraid when death comes knocking at our door that most ultimate of fearful events we can grasp the promises of eternal life and listen do not be afraid Political divisions, the cries of the poor, the lonely, the hungry, near and far, tempting us to put our hands over our ears and fall to the ground, paralyzed by fear, and we can listen. Do not be afraid. They go down the mountain and so shall we. We descend into Lent this week. We turn our eyes to the cross and what lies beyond. So we could do worse than writing these words down, putting them in our pockets, making them the screensaver on our phone, nailing them to the door. Just these words, they are more than enough coming from the one who glowed with the glory of God on this day. Listen to him. Do not be afraid. Amen.